joy to be back with you and thank you for the opportunity again to open the book of Joshua together. Jill and I were shocked that Ron had passed so quickly and in our prayer we just thanked the Lord for taking him as he did. My pastoral experience over the last 45 years it is always a blessing when the Lord takes someone to be with himself who has such a witness. It's always hard. But it's always a blessing because to, to be with Christ, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, to be with Christ is better by far. I think we recognize that, particularly in Ron's case and his suffering. But for each of us, to be with Christ is better by far. Sometimes it's hard to get your head around that if you're enjoying the Lord and enjoying Christian company and enjoying singing in a good choir or whatever it is that you do. But it remains absolute to be with Christ is better by far. We have a harrowing passage to read today. It's in Joshua chapter 7. One of the disciplines of being a preacher and preaching consecutively is you have to deal with the bad bits as well as the good bits. So Joshua chapter 7 is our reading this morning. It's always a, a telling thing when a chapter or a section begins with a but and uh, it's interesting that that's how chapter 7 begins. Just had the great victory at Jericho. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the things which were devoted to God. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan? to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out your name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down in your face? 
Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They have turned their backs and run because they had been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, set yourselves apart in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with the devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward, and they took the Zerites. He had the clan of the Zerites come forward by families, and Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder, that is of Jericho, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. And Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Dreadful story, isn't it? It's one of the things that constantly draws me back to Scripture to recognize that God is absolutely faithful to his promises. In chapter 6 and verse 16, the Israelites were told, I beg your pardon, chapter 6 and verse 17, the Israelites were told this. The city and all that is in them are to be devoted to the Lord, that is, given over for his purpose. 
Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. We'll be looking at this uh, tonight, God willing. And here's the but. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble in it. All the silver, gold, and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. There is no clearer warning given in Scripture in relation to what the outcome would be if we decided on this occasion, if we were Israelites, to disobey God. It's absolutely clear. And God says, look, if you take that which I have doomed to destruction because of its wickedness, and you bring the traces of it into your own camp, then you yourselves will be liable to the same destruction as that which I am going to mete out upon Jericho. And as I said, it's absolutely clear. When something was anathema, when something was devoted to one's God, that became a cursed thing. And it carried with it the same penalty as was originally pronounced on the people who had previously owned and lived as they had chosen. And if that ban was broken, then the destruction which was due to the wickedness of the folk who lived in Jericho and the wider tribe of the Amorites because of their, particularly because of their offering of child, children to their god Molech. They had their children burnt, their firstborn child was burnt at the feet of the god Molech as a, as a sort of sop to the god so that he would continue to bless them. And, uh, you know, that sort of behavior God is not mocked by. Human life is precious, and we need to recognize that in this country. But that's another issue. But here you will, you will see that it was absolutely clear, and God said, look, you transgress in this particular thing, and you bring the curse that I pronounced upon Jericho, that will be brought to bear upon yourselves, because you have disobeyed me. I think sometimes whenever God gives a law and says, if we break that law, that we are guilty of sin, I think we tend to think that God doesn't mean it. You know, when God says thou shalt not kill, um, then we take that fairly seriously, or I hope we do. But if God says thou shalt not covet, perhaps we don't take that quite so seriously. But equally it is sin. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Not even a white lie. We're all in the in the same boat, my dear friends, this morning. You know, we all have sinned and come short of God's glory. And God's judgment is real. It will happen if I don't repent from my sin, if I don't turn away and turn towards him. And judgment is as inevitable as death. Another scripture says after death. 
judgment. I hate preaching like this. But I have to be true to the scripture. I have to be true to what God says. So you have this character, Achan. It's interesting that uh, the scripture begins in chapter 7. And Richard, if you could bring the text up again, I don't know if that's possible or not. But if you could, um, if you just bring it up, the first verse of chapter 7, if you can get back to there. That's great. The Israelites acted or were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. So they knew absolutely, or Achan knew absolutely, that what he was doing was wrong. It was an act, it was that which, uh, if I can put it like this, it shook, it ha- it shook its fist in the, in the face of God and effectively said, well, I don't really care. I see this goodly Babylonian garment and the shackles of silver and the wedge of gold and as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to take it because it's what I want to do. And again, symptomatic of our age, we do what we want, we do what we like. Many of our songs demonstrate that. I've mentioned before that the most popular song at funerals today is I Did It My Way. And effectively we're shaking our fist in the face of God. Because God doesn't want us to do it our way. He wants us to live our lives his way. And so we face these sort of issues every day of our lives. But I want to look in in this uh, in a general sense and just point up some of the things that Uh, Breaking God's commandments does in relation to this particular situation that we have before us this morning. You'll notice in verse 3, and I know that Richard's going to keep with us in this. Whenever they returned to Joshua, there was an evidence of self-pride and self-sufficiency. They said, well, we don't need to try too hard. This is just a little city, and we can handle it with two or 3,000 men. And there's no way that they're going to handle us because we're the boys and, you know, they can't win effectively. And pride is always an outcome of sin or sin is always an outcome of pride. You know, it it works both ways. We get proud of ourselves. Can't think why, but it's part of our makeup, part of the expression of our sinfulness. But what did this lead to? This act of pride. Well, it led to defeat. Defeat by a small city. It led to destruction of some of the men of Israel, 36 or so. And that led immediately to uh, doubts in relation to God. God had made promises to Joshua just a day or two previously and said, Look, I'm going to give you this land. This thing is going to work out according to my purpose. And you'll notice immediately, whenever the fellows come back from Ai, that the scripture says at the end of verse 5, at this the hearts of the people melted and became like water. And they immediately recognized that, you know, they were weak. That they couldn't function. And that then destroyed faith in God, as you have in verse 5. Joshua tore his clothes, fell down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. And you'll recognize immediately what he's saying in his heart because the words are given to us. What can I say? We've been right up our enemies. You said you were going to give us this land. Why didn't you let us stay on the other side of Jordan? 
Why have you brought us across the Jordan in order that we might be defeated? And immediately it, it undermines faith in God. And ultimately, and I say this absolutely clearly this morning, ultimately sin undermines faith in God. You know why so few people in our country have any time for God? It's because that somehow or other, the way we have tended to live without a thought of God has undermined our awareness of who he really is. But above all, it has undermined our thought of trusting him. Doubt is cast on every area of God's work. Doubt is cast on creation. Has God really made the world? Has he really made man as a separate entity? Is man ultimately responsible to God? And there are sinful willfulness tends to attack all of these sort of areas. Am I responsible for my own actions? Can I not claim diminished responsibility? Can I not somehow or other avoid this whole issue of recognizing that my life is an open book before the God of glory? Because the scripture says he knows my thoughts are far off. He knows the, the harsh world in which we live and knows how this so frequently undermines our awareness of him. And yet he reaches out to us, and this is the beauty of the mercy of God. As we were thinking a little bit early, he reaches out to us because of the death of Jesus, because of the fact that the, the Lord has died for our sins. God can reach out to us and appeal to us and say to you, I mean, look, just come to me. The Savior wept over Jerusalem. And he cried, you will not come to me that you might have life. I have no idea how the Lord Jesus felt. But it broke his heart that men and women had not time for him. And he is so ultimately generous to us. And yet so obviously we find our faith undermined. So it casts doubt upon God and it casts doubt upon the promises of God or the word of God. And for verse 9, it causes the fear of man to dominate the people of God. Look at what it says in verse 9. As Joshua cries out, The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this. They will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Because our actions, Joshua said, or what has happened, has brought defamation upon your name as the God of all the earth. And then verse 12. God says in verse 10, Stand up, what are you doing in your face? Israel has sinned. Verse 12. Why? This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They have turned their backs and run because they have made themselves liable to destruction. Because their disobedience have brought my, has brought my curse upon them. Now one or two things about this character, Achan. You'll notice that he was off the tribe of Judah. The tribe from whom the kings of Israel were later to be chosen. And the tribe from whom the Lord Jesus himself was going to come. The tribe of Judah. This which was going to be uh, 
I was going to use the word selected. That's not what I mean. But elected by God to be the tribe through which the kings would be brought. David was of the tribe of Judah. Solomon, likewise, of the tribe of Judah, and so on. And here is a man of the tribe of Judah, this family which was later to rise to great prominence, who is not saved by his link with the tribe of Judah. Some people think that God will look on them carefully and, and personally because of the family they come from. Because their parents have been Christian or their grandparents have been Christians and they go to church regularly and that somehow or other God will look on us favorably because of our background. God is no respecter of persons. God deals with each of us on exactly the same grounds. I am of no more importance to God than anybody else. We come to God on the basis of faith in him, faith in his word, and faith in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Recognizing that he died for our sin, we come to him on that basis on no other. And this dear man, carried away by his own covetousness, even though he comes from such a tribe, cannot be spared because he's responsible for his own actions. Because if you think about this, you will recognize that Achan had been pretending that he had obeyed God's command. Nobody other than his immediate family knew anything about this. Just him. And yet he is one of the soldiers who had gone up into Jericho and said, I'm going to bring to bear God's curse upon this people. And you have this terrible paradox where he somehow or other sees himself as being exempt from that which God had commanded. Now you know how the story unravels because we we read it together. I want to go to verse 20, if I may, Richard. And verse 20 says this. You remember Joshua said, My son, give glory to God. And Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw, I coveted, and I took. When I saw, I coveted, and I took. I hid. I buried it. I thought nobody knew about it. But God knew about it. A little story in the Old Testament earlier, which has a phrase in it which just says, My God seest me. When I was seven years old, I was stealing from shops in Newton Arts. And I thought nobody knew about it. I went across to Mrs. Edgar's shop, which was a sweet shop just across the road from us. And I used to order a quarter of sweets from the back shelves and they had to turn around to pick up their big bottle. And while they turned around to pick up their big bottle, I would pick up a packet of fruit parcels and stick it in my pocket. Mrs. Edgar suspected that I bought too many quarters of sweets from the bottles in the back of her shop. And one day, as I made my usual order, she turned around and looked over her shoulder and said, What are you doing with the fruit parcels, Peter? 
She knew me by first name. And I just looked at her and said, I'm stealing them. And she said, what do you think your parents would think about that? And I said, I think they'd be ashamed of me. And she said this. She said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell your parents. But I want you to stop stealing my sweets. Three weeks later, at the end of February, my Sunday school teacher was talking about forgiveness. And he was talking about the fact that God knew everything about me. And even though my parents didn't know, until I used this illustration about 20 years ago, when my father was sitting in the congregation, I could see the shock on his face, yeah. I knew that God knew. And I knew that I knew that I was a thief and a rascal. And when the Sunday school teacher that day used the same phrase, talking about Hagar and Ishmael, my God seeth me. In that case, it was to bring a well into Hagar's view. In my case, it was to bring me to a, a sense of the water of life in the person of the Lord Jesus. And that night, I got down by my bedside, and I said, Lord, you know all about me, but I'm coming to you. I want to know your forgiveness. And I just came to him. And that's where my life began with God give glory to God and acknowledge Achan what you have done give glory to God and acknowledge Achan what you have done it is true when I saw I coveted and I took. And you knew, Achan, when you did that, you were bringing the curse of God upon your family and upon the nation of Israel. Yes, I did, because I heard it, Joshua, when the words were told to us before we went up into Jericho. But I did it anyway. And so the curse that was pronounced upon Jericho came to bear upon Achan and his own family. And that's why his family died as they did. Shocking. You see, there was no alternative because God had said in Joshua 6, this was what would happen. And because Achan had done what he did, he brought the curse of God upon his own family. It's a mercy, isn't it, that God says to you and me in our generation since the death of Christ, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And I thank Ruth for saying that this morning, even though it was confession and not repentance. Because it was such a confirmation to my own heart. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you going to trust him this morning? God always keeps his word. Joshua 6 and 7 proves that. Talk to the folk here. Talk to me afterwards if you've got a minute or two. And if there's any way in which I can help you to come to that point of just saying, yes, Lord, I need a new life. I need a new start. I want to be with Ron when I die. Just come to him. Trust him. Know his forgiveness. God bless you. This this has been real hard for me to preach. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we're so fragile and we recognize that. And we recognize above everything else that you're faithful and true. That you're the God who cannot lie. And we come to you as your subjects this morning as your created beings, and we just lay our lives before you. You know the trauma that we have in our hearts right now, the various pressures that are building within our living. And we ask in your grace that you will draw close to us. If we haven't yet in a real way repented and turned back to you and confessed our sin, then we pray that you'll help us to do that just now. just to take this moment to trust you for the first time in our lives, to know your forgiveness, to know the blessedness of a secure future through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. We trust only in him. We lay our lives before you in Jesus' name. Amen.